0: economic news on SAFM facts and figures you can count on and we join now by Nadir Token investment analyst at 274 investment managers good morning nadir good morning shakina and good morning to your listeners so let's start with a very interesting one uh, the risk that naspers poses to the south african investor <sighs>
1: Yeah, Sakina, I mean, I think what the story is all about is just the sheer size of Naspers. You know, I mean, if you put it into context, it's now, um, its market cap is in excess of a trillion rand, and if one looks at how this stacks up globally, it's now actually the ninth largest company in the world, which is staggering, Sakina, given that it's, uh, in effect, controlled by a man in Stellenbosch through various holding companies. Um, You know, so it's quite a staggering statistic to think that uh, the ninth largest company in the world is a local, essentially. A local company um, that went and um, you know acquired businesses offshore that grew it exponentially, um, and it's now dominating the South African All Share Index and dominating South African indices. Sakina. and I think um, as passive investing becomes increasingly popular in South Africa, um, I think what investors are not realizing is that uh, as you buy as you buy into passive more and more, essentially what you're doing is that uh, you're taking an increasingly con- a concentrated view on the prospects of NASPERS. Now, um, you know, not to say that uh, the prospects of NASPERS aren't good, quite clearly they have an exceptional track record, especially with the purchase of uh, 10 cents and the juggernaut that that has become and uh, you know, the online revolution in China, the online consumption revolution in China and the fact that, uh, you know, they've they, they, been driven towards more consumption-driven growth and we see the kind of growth rates that come out of that 10 cent business. Um, you know, and then there's obviously the arguments about uh, the rump of the business not being priced into the price of NASPERS in fact it's a it's sign that negative value um, you know if one looks at the market cap of NASPERS relative to uh, you know it's stake in in, in in 10 cents so you know Sakina I think there is quite a good story around NASPERS and quite clearly they have some strong earnings tailwinds over the foreseeable future um, you know that that's not the debate the debate here is just uh, how do you express that with, or how do you express that view within your portfolio and with the uh, all passive funds having as much as 19.5% exposure uh, to a single stock in the form of NASPERS, one really has to question whether that's prudent from a portfolio construction perspective and whether investors are really um, you know, ha- accessing a truly diversified portfolio uh, you know, by having a, a, essentially one-fifth of their capital in a single stock. Um, so, you know, I would implore those listeners who are interested in passive investing, say that's uh, you know it saves a significant amount of costs to dig a little bit deeper and try and understand the risks that they are exposed to by buying um, any passive related fund and by understanding that, uh, you know, perhaps having one-fifth of their capital in a single stock with uh, essentially all its prospects pinned on uh, the online revolution in China because that's what really drives the share price of of, of NASPERS. Um, So that's the first point. And the second point is that to what extent is that growth already priced into the NASPERS price? Now, um, you know, we've a substantial rally in NASPERS over the last couple of months after a fairly benign start to the year and the share price is probably up around 20-21% um, over the course of the last two months. So. Sakina, um, while there's nothing wrong with having exposure to NASPERS in your portfolio, it is a long-term growth story. There's obviously a significant amount of risk in the earnings outlook for that business and in uh, continuing to assume that it's going to grow at the rate that it has over the course of the last five years uh, since the 10-10 numbers started coming into the base. So, you know, um, we we certainly would advise a lot of caution around, uh, you know, allocating 20% to a single stock um, in your portfolio.
0: And then Donald Trump, uh, Nadir, uh, he plans to cut corporate taxes. Tell us more about that. Yeah, big story
1: Sakina, I think it was uh, quite a big centerpiece of his uh, election campaign actually, that he'll cut corporate taxes and in doing that, um, you know, he'll obviously boost economic growth. So, if you look at the plan that he's looking to roll out, he's looking to cut corporate taxes to, uh, to 15% uh, from the current level of 35%, so that's a massive cut, I mean he's essentially more than halving corporate taxation in the US and, uh, you know, there's obviously a lot of concern amongst fiscal conservatives in Congress as to what impact will that have on the U.S. budget and, you know, will it increase the budget, uh, you know, not only over a one-year period or two-year period, but even all the way out so to a 10-year period, what impact would this cut in corporate taxation have um, on, 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 on the on the budget deficit? And I think, Sakina, there's been a number of proposals, uh, you know, thrown around, and, in fact, Stephen Mnuchin, uh, the U.S. Treasury Secretary, has come out and said, well, in fact, the cuts in, uh, in corporate taxes could actually be positive uh, for the U.S. budget because, uh, you know, if it galvanizes economic growth and if economic growth at a stretch gets to 3%, um, you know, the, the, the results are quite staggering and it could actually result in $2 trillion of additional revenue collected because of, uh, you know, the, the, the multiplier effect of the higher growth and corporates uh, potentially hiring more people. Um, you know, I think, Sakina, you know, the, the, the issue that, uh, you know, I would have with such a plan is that, one, this This brand of trickle-down economics clearly hasn't worked before in terms of, uh, you know, allowing tax cuts to corporations and the wealthiest and hoping that that trickles down to the rest of the economy. Um, You know, we haven't exactly seen that happening uh, previously, and we've just seen that uh, the tax cuts and those benefits accrue accruing to very few uh, people within the population who hold financial assets. That's the first point. And the second point is that, uh, you know, the the U.S. Congress has already, um, you know, given the White House one slap in the face earlier this year uh, by rejecting their health care reform bill. And, uh, you know, Donald Trump hasn't created too many allies within Congress. And, uh, you know, given the standoff that we've had in U.S. Congress uh, previously about budget shutdowns um, over budget deficits uh, under the Obama era, um, uh, it seems that, uh, you know, he faces a big uphill battle in terms of passing this through Congress uh, just as budget negotiations are coming up and preventing a shutdown of Congress over uh, a, ballooning, a ballooning deficit given the number of uh, fiscal conservatives that, we, that, that, that the U.S. has in Congress. So, Sakina, we'll have to wait and see. Um, you know, I think it would be quite a, quite a devastating blow to the Trump administration if within its first 100 days. Um, It has two uh, bills that it tried to push through. Congress rejected. um, And, you know, this is obviously being uh, somewhat of a centerpiece of Mr. Trump's campaign uh, before coming into the White House. So it's going to be interesting to wait and see what happens.
0: Well, Nadir, and uh, just a quick one, perhaps if we could just touch on uh, the uh, recovery in the emerging market earnings story. Yeah, Sakina. I mean, I
1: think what, what we've seen happening pretty much ever since the beginning of 2017 is that there's been a massive growing appetite for emerging market equities. Um, you know, and we've seen emerging market equities do quite well off the back of that. If one looks at Brazil, if one looks at China, if one looks at Russia, if one looks at Indonesia, um, you know, there's been quite a strong recovery in a number of those stock markets. And I think what's happened is that as the outlook for growth in a number of these emerging markets had started to uh, turn. The corner on the back of higher commodity prices, stabilizing deficits, improving confidence, and uh, you know indications from China that uh, they're likely to keep liquidity flush in the system. Um, you know I think there's been an inc- there's been increased appetite to pick up these assets on the back of uh, those stabilizing growth prospects and expectations that uh, a lot of those companies will start to benefit off those stabilizing growth prospects. Um, you know if you look at uh, the recovery in emer- the emerging markets earnings base. You know, there's probably been um, year and year around, uh, you know, mid, the mid-teen uh, digits, so between 15 to 17% uh, earnings growth in emerging markets, uh, you know, over the, over the first quarter and the first quarter numbers that have been reported so far. And, you know, we're seeing a lot and we've seen an aggressive uh, run in emerging market equity. So, you know, Sakina, I think all the stars have aligned. Um, you know, developed market politics seems to be uh, stabilizing a little bit. Um, You know, there seems to be uh, a lot of risk on appetite in the search for yield, given that the Federal Reserve has said that they're going to be gradual in the pace of their uh, interest rate increases. So, you know, the risk appetite has has been uh, supported, and the earnings recovery has come through quite strongly from emerging markets, as I mentioned, 15% earnings growth. Um, And if you look at emerging market equities relative to the rest of the world, uh, you know, up until this point, earnings have very much uh, not been a multiple expansion story, but rather very much related to earnings uh, earnings growth, and that's why they, they, um, you know we've seen the, the, the stock markets coming under some pressure up until recently. So you know, at the end of the day, you're not paying premium multiples for each rand of revenue that you're getting from emerging market companies. Sakina and I think uh, as risk appetite improves, global investors are realizing that and marginally starting to increase their positions.